And so today we're beginning a series called Temple, where heaven and earth meet. Because I have some questions. I, I'm sure you have some questions too. What is the purpose of this earth anyway? <laughs> right? Like, you go to church and it feels good and then life happens. You're like, well, that sucks. Is this what I went to church for? I put my faith and my trust in God and I was told that if I prayed, that things would change and then things didn't move. Like, can someone please explain to me the purpose of my faith? Can someone please explain to me why are we on earth? Can someone please explain to me why do we believe in this magical place of heaven? Someone tell me. What's going to happen there? It has to be better than this place of earth. Because what we see every day on the surface is that people that we love dearly die. <laughs> and if we're honest, there's some wicked people that we wish they would have had a ticket first before <laughs> my good father, my good brother, my good husband, my good wife, my innocent child. I, there's no ticket system for this? Like, why, God? Such a good person. And this gets so hard for me to have faith in a heaven? Like, what is this place? A place in the sky with little cherub babies and wings and clouds? And, 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 and from what I understand and what people talk about is, is, is that then I'm going to go to this place and just sit at the feet of God and just worship him 24-7. If I'm honest in my pain, that doesn't sound like something I want to do right now, right? <laughs> because the earth that I just received was absolutely terrible. And now I'm going to go sit at some guy's feet and worship him? Right? So the question is, is that the story and the narrative of heaven and earth? Is, is that true? Or is it possible that we're missing something in our understanding of earth and way missing our comprehension of what heaven actually is. And so my hopes is that as we journey over the next couple of weeks that we're able to answer some of these questions because I want to know where my good friend is at right now. I'm sure you want to know where all the people that you love are at right now. I think those are okay questions to ask. But I have come to learn in the pursuit of pain that there is an answer to many of those questions. And I hope as we journey, they're not going to all be answered today. So I'm going to encourage you to come back, please. Please come back so you can allow God to speak with you and us gain understanding for, for life. We, we have to take some responsibility and admit that most of the time that we're only in this place is when we need something, right? Okay? Can we talk about that? We pray when we need something. We come to the church and the family when we need something. 
and then we disengage, and then we miss valuable fellowship, valuable information, valuable presence of God that is needed for this entire life journey, but then we're only engaging when we need something. That's hard. It's hard. We can't comprehend um, truth with such a terrible habit. So I'm going to invite you uh, back. And before I begin, don't worry, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read. But I do want to say thank you to all these amazing leaders that stepped up during this time. They have led our church forward, not just into this building, but have led us with radical faith and prayer. And again, not just into a building, but led us through the passing of death. And this is significant and this is profound to have such great leaders amongst us equipped to be able to hear the voice of God and discern the heart of God and lead us in such a special way. It's a privilege for me to sit under such great leadership. So once again, first thank, uh, thank you to our first lady, Pastor Tanya, our associate pastor, Daniel Machuca, Pastor Linda, and her example of resilience and faithfulness and leadership, not just in our home, but to our church, to Brother Joshua, leading with radical faith, trusting God at his word. To our youth leader, Karina, thank you all so much. Still, with these worlds colliding, our church is still moving forward today. Amen? Amen? So let us begin. Oh my gosh, I feel like I forgot how to preach. I'm not even lying. I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel like I don't know how to preach. It's been so long. I, I probably have forgot how to preach, but I, I did study. I did study, and I'm somewhat prepared for this journey. I better be prepared. This might be one of the hardest ones for me. Um, and we've had some hard ones. We've, we've grown, and we've taken on some challenges. But I want you to repeat with me just the title of the series, just so we can all embrace the, the discussion. And so say this, temple, temple. where heaven and earth meet. One more time. Temple, Temple. where heaven and earth meet. And so, one last thing, and then we'll get into a verse. The series is one of progression, okay? The series is one of progression, meaning that each week we will be building on top of the previous, okay? So today is uh, the beginning and the start, but after that, each week will build on top of the other. So I'm glad that you're here. The other people are going to have a hard time next week if uh, they didn't go back and watch. And I will not recap the whole sermon. So you're going to tell your brother and sister who didn't make it, did you, did you watch? Because if not, then you're going to have to preach to them after the service and fill them in, okay? Or just send them the link. But each week, we'll discuss a particular theme, and then we'll explore that theme and highlight some key elements about that theme, and then seek to understand the significance and make proper application to our lives. 
And then from week to week, we'll attempt to make correct transitions that the scriptures themselves are attempting to make all within this theme of temple, okay? And so each week is a specific theme. We're going to highlight elements, and then we're going to make proper applications to our life. And then from one week to the next week, we're going to try to make the proper transition that scripture itself is making along the lines of this theme, temple. And so today is just a foundational building block for us to be able to do that. And so now I have to say this, that before we can begin to talk about that word temple, there are some other concepts and things that are important that we first have to understand before we can talk about this temple. Because if we go straight to temple, it will be an injustice to the entire story that is carrying the thread of temple from the beginning to the end. I got fascinated with this theme years ago. This is before we even got here. And I would say ever since my fascination began with this theme of temple, uh, I, haven't, I haven't stopped. And the more I've journeyed through scriptures, just as a pastor preparing messages, the theme is all, it's a thread throughout all of scripture, this theme of temple. But the theme of temple is not just one that stands by itself. What we're going to see and what we're going to explore is how this temple becomes this meeting place, this sacred place of where heaven and earth are meeting. And so in order for us to talk about that, then we have to define heaven and we have to define earth. Make sense? Because heaven and earth is where the temple meets. But if you and I have this poor concept of earth and why are we here in heaven and hopefully when you and I die, we float up there into glory. Do we have a poor or shallow understanding of these two places, these two realms? Oh, we'll never comprehend them meeting and colliding together as a temple. A temple for what? Amen? And so... I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we go into the verses. And boy, when I tell you I had struggled to have this starting place, I'm not lying. I've been talking to my wife for two weeks, like, oh, my God, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know where's the right starting place. Like, where do we begin such a journey? It's going to be a journey. I don't know how many weeks yet, um, but several weeks. So who's kind of excited? Did I hype you up enough? Or you're like, I'm already done past. I get it. Heaven and earth. I got that. I'm going home. See you next week. Uh, I hope not. But I think a good starting place is to go to uh, some words of Jesus. Some words of Jesus. And I want you, as we're reading, you might be uh, alerted by the passage. Say, oh, this is familiar. I know this. I know this. When we go there, you're going to be like, oh, I know this. It's words of Jesus. But I want you to pay attention to some of the language and the words that Jesus is using in this familiar passage, okay? Matthew chapter 6, beginning uh, at verse 5. We're going to read from 5 to 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Uh, today, they are provided on the screen uh, right above me. 
We're going to be reading from the New King James Version just to preserve some of the language, okay? We read this name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church says, Amen. Amen. This is Jesus speaking. Just say, yeah, or give me a nod if this sounds familiar to you, right? And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What is their reward? That they're seen by men and acknowledged by them. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes few words is more to God. Okay? That's what Jesus just said. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. And now, verse 9. This is where you go, yeah. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, where? Our Father, where? In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Where? As it is in heaven. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, where? In heaven. Jesus is very familiar with these two worlds. Jesus is fully aware of this dimension of earth and this dimension of heaven. And right away, what he's teaching them and what we would call this the model prayer, he is praying that the will of the Father... And the kingdom of the Father, that is where, in this dimension of heaven, comes to and collides and unites with earth. See? So Jesus is very familiar with heaven and earth, but he absolutely understands their proper context. And in his prayer, he's asking for unification. That's profound. Let's just finish the prayer just because it's beautiful. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for enduring that long introduction. <laughs> That's what happens when I go away for two months. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, Jesus acknowledges that the Father, God, the Creator, exists in a dimension that is out of this world, so to say. And he says that our Father, 
dwells and resides in this place called heaven. And then he says, when you pray, pray for God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven to come where? For his kingdom and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus saying, when you pray, when we pray, when we go to the Father, what we should understand and comprehend, we should be asking for the kingdom of God, that which belongs to God, the understanding, the wisdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, for that to become one with earth. And so today I want to title this sermon, Invitation to Paradise. Invitation to Paradise. Let's go over some context, some setting. Uh, the setting and the context of this passage is what we have come to describe as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Are you familiar with that title, the Sermon on the Mount? This includes Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we just read from Matthew chapter 6. So what we read is we, where we read from this model prayer comes as a centerpiece of the sermon. We have Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus introduces a prayer right in the middle. It's almost as if the prayer is the hinge of his sermon. The prayer becomes the strength for what takes place in his words of Matthew chapter 5 and hold together the concluding ending of Matthew chapter 7. This is also known and understood uh, for, uh, where we have come to learn and understand that this is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus that we have in the Gospels, the, Matthew, the, the Gospel here in Matthew. It's the longest recorded full-length message of Jesus. One time I got up here and I didn't preach, I just read the sermon because that's Jesus preaching. And I said, if anyone's mad, then you tell God you don't like his preaching. I did that, right? It was quite powerful. And it had nothing to do with my words. I was just orating the text, and it was beautiful. And then I said, amen, and I sat down. And looked. But it is known as the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Gospels. And from the information that we have of the text, we also know that while Jesus is preaching, there are multitudes and crowds around him. We could assume that there are hundreds, possibly thousands listening to this message. How do we know so? Well, Matthew chapter 4 also tells us in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 4, before he goes into his sermon, that Matthew chapter 4 tells us that this is when Jesus begins his ministry. He comes out of fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he is strengthened by the angels that minister to him. We'll have to have a Bible study on that one day. Uh, by angels who come and minister to him. But after that, he moves uh, out into ministry. Prior to that, he is baptized. And so he's baptized, he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit, he's tempted and tried, he overcomes temptation. And after all that process, then he, he moves and he steps forward into his ministry. Well, what is his ministry? He doesn't bake cookies. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that he begins with preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first 
text that we have of Jesus beginning to preach is repent for the kingdom of heaven. There's the word again. Jesus seems to be obsessed with this word heaven and its correlation to this world we call earth and live on. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Come near where? Here. On earth. The kingdom of heaven, of his father, the place of dwelling, has come where? Here. Stop. Touch the floor with your foot or something. You feel that? That cement or whatever this is? Probably back where Jesus was, it's like dirt or something. I don't know, right? Ground. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. What is Jesus talking about? He's wilding right now. (laughs) And this kind of language would be shocking. This would be shocking for listeners and people hearing him speak. It would actually be, wait a minute, what did you just say? The kingdom of heaven is here and now, and you're authorized, you, Jesus, from Nazareth, you're authorized to make such a statement? For us, we're like, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is here, beautiful, it sounds poetic, I like it, works for me. However, his listeners have a deeper and more significant understanding of this word heaven. They do, because they have been raised on scriptures, they have been raised on the Torah, they have been raised on the words of the prophets, they've been raised on the traditions of their teachers, so they understand this, this statement, the statement is not just a statement, it's actually a claim. When he says that the kingdom of heaven has come near, and he is the one making such an announcement. We'll go more into that a little bit, you know, throughout the series, but this is how this all begins. But he doesn't just preach words, and you better believe that their eyes and their ears are like, wait a minute, what did this man just say with such a statement? But then he starts moving in supernatural power. Like, he's saying that heaven has come to them, and then he starts to display evidence of heaven through his actions. How? In Matthew chapter 4, it tells us this, that he goes and he starts to preach. He starts to preach all throughout Judea, Galilee. He goes beyond that of the Jordan, even into Syria. And he's preaching, but he's also healing sicknesses and diseases. He's, he's, he's liberating those that have been demonically possessed and overtaken. And once word gets out, then multitudes start coming to him. And he's making an announcement The kingdom of heaven has come here on earth, and then he starts to display that of the supernatural. And then we start to get a glimpse of heaven on earth through the words and the life of Jesus. Sick people are getting healed. People in bondage are getting liberated. And the text says that multitudes have come from all over to follow him. 
In Matthew chapter 5, it begins that. It says, once he saw the crowds and the multitudes, it says that's when he went up into the mountain. He said, okay, cool, the crowd's big enough. And it says he goes up to the mountain and he takes his disciples and he sits with them. And then he says, John, please turn on my mic. And he starts to preach. No, not that John. <laughs> and in Matthew chapter 5, we get the commencement and the start of this sermon that begins. This beautiful sermon. And so he's already started to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. He's already started to display this supernatural, wild, mysterious power where he has the ability to pray, rebuke sickness, disease, and he starts to exercise authority over tormenting spirits. But he's a preacher, so he gets up on this mountain, they sit down. This is so weird. This is like just their tradition and culture. In their tradition and culture, their teachers and their rabbis, when they would teach, they wouldn't get up on the podium like we do today and, you know, you guys sit and I talk. It was the other way around. In, 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 in this Hebrew Jewish tradition, the teacher, the rabbi, that person would sit while everyone else would stand up. And that person would stand up while the teacher is speaking. We should try that. Maybe next week. I sit down and you all stand up for the length of me preaching. How would that go? I don't know. We'll just say that happened because it was Jesus. Okay? And so he sits down. Just read it, Matthew chapter 5. He sits down and he has his disciples sit with him. His closest ones that he called, they sit with him. And then he begins to teach and to preach. And then he begins with something shocking and so profound, he opens up with what we call and we label in our Bibles, you see it if you look in there, a section called the Beatitudes. It's an eightfold blessing declared over these listeners. And you have to think of the crowd. Who you think makes up this crowd? More sick people who want a touch from Jesus. More hurting and broken people who have become the outcasts of their society and their communities. The poor who are overlooked and families that are hurting because they just don't, they, they don't cut it in society. People with uh, children and family members who are being tormented, whether by spirits or with sickness and disease. He's just did miracles in all these other regions. He's on the move. Multitudes are following him. And then he gets up and he starts to preach and he pronounces his blessing over the people. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, I just want to look at them. And look at the language of Jesus, my goodness. Just look at Jesus again. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, at, look how he starts the message. He talks to the poor in spirit. Has anyone ever felt poor in spirit? He speaks to the poor spirit in his time, and then he tells them, blessed are they, and theirs is the kingdom of what? Of heaven again. Here, he, he's doing it again. He's taking this place. He's taking this dimension, and he's saying to those that are poor in spirit, heaven is your inheritance. That is profound because the poor in spirit on earth don't have anything. But he's saying the kingdom of heaven is your inheritance. But he's not done. He says, and blessed are those who mourn. Any mourning people. He said, blessed are you when you mourn because you will be comforted. 
But he doesn't stop there. He says, blessed are the meek, the humble. Not just those that are meek and humble in spirit as a, as a, as a good quality of your character, but those that have been humbled by others and those that have been stepped on at the same time. Blessed are the meek. And look what he says here. This is so fascinating to me. He says, for they shall inherit what? Dirt. Now hold on. Jesus. You just said our inheritance was what? Heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But now blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, Jesus, now you have to make up your mind. Is my inheritance heaven or is my inheritance earth? Could it be that Jesus is saying something so profound, something that we overlooked? What if Jesus is saying that the inheritance is its heaven and earth? Now, this messes with me. This really messes with me. Because as a child growing up and going to church, and uh, I'm not not sure, but you just raise your hand if you believe like me. I hope that when I die... And I think God's going to blow this forsaken planet up with fire one day, right? Because something like that in Revelation, right? He's just going to burn it to the pieces. I just hope that when I die, I fly and I go where? To heaven. Anybody? Like, yeah, I just want to. I want to die and go to heaven. Because according to what I read in Scripture, this place, he's going to blow to smithereens. And uh, so when I die, I want to go to heaven. I want to float up. I'm going up, I'm going up yonder, people. I want to go to heaven. How many of us grow up with this comprehension? I want to die and want to float to heaven. And, and, and in heaven, this is, my, this is what I grew up, there's clouds, and then there's a mansion on the clouds, like it's mansions on clouds. And one of them is mine, because there's some verse about mansions, right, being prepared somewhere. And I got a crown. <laughs> you have a crown, too? I, I have a crown. It's a king. It's, it's a man crown. Don't, it's a man crown. You got a girl crown, right? I got a crown. <laughs> and there's little angels floating all around. I don't have wings in my heaven. I don't have wings, but I fly. <laughs> Do you fly in your heaven? I fly. I float. I go deep into the ocean in my heaven. Right? But there's light and there's all this stuff. And, but at the same time, I'm just a, we, we just worship God all day long. It's, and it's just that place somewhere up in the sky. And heaven's up somewhere, right? Heaven's up somewhere. High, 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 right? Where's heaven? If you had like, like, in my mind, in my cosmology, in my sense of direction, heaven is, is up. Heaven's up. Well, let's just say, what if you lived on the South Pole? Which way is heaven for you then? Just, 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 just think about it, right? If, <laughs> wait, your up is down, and, and if you want to throw a wrench, then where's hell? Like, I just, I'm just so confused now, right? I think we need help. 
I think we need help. Because I'm on earth, and from what I understand, earth is man's space, and heaven is up, it's God's space, and I want to make sure when I die I go to heaven so I don't drop down and go to hell. But is it really up? Is it really down? Like, what, what? Is it a physical place so high that if I just pass the solar, you know, like, if you go back in, 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 in their time, right? If, if someone in their time had an understanding of heaven, the, the, the sky would be the limit. And, and if they were thinking how we were thinking, then they would say, oh, just above the sky, if I keep going up, then there's heaven. However, you and I live in a time where we can go past this atmosphere and, 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 and we're able to see now that when you go past the atmosphere, there's just so much more out there. So it's like, how, how far is heaven then? My goodness. And then someone tells me that there's a black hole somewhere? Well, now I'm really messed up. Like, and, 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 and as far as our cameras go, and we go up, if you want to say up, down, like, like there's just galaxies and galaxies, and we, our, our telescopes can just go so far, and, and they can't see heaven yet. Where is heaven? So when you die, you want to go up? Up where? <laughs> you better have a powerful rocket because... <laughs> and you, you better know which direction to go because we haven't, we haven't seen it up. And we haven't seen it down either. And as we explore, we just discover more and more beauty of the universe. And then Jesus is going around saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. Are we looking in the wrong place for heaven? <laughs> That's what, am, I, am I looking for heaven in all the wrong places? And this just gets a little bit more complicated when Jesus says that the inheritance of the poor in spirit and the inheritance for the meek is not just heaven, but heaven and earth. That's pro. Hey. Now, I'm going to whip out a gadget here that my friend Eric, he's not here today, but he gave me this laser pointer as a gift. And I'm like, I'm going to use this thing one day. And today's the day we're going to use the laser pointer. Okay? But just, if you could just put the verses that we just had, Matthew 5, 3, 3 to 5, back up. The poor in spirit... Their inheritance is kingdom of heaven. The meek, their inheritance is the earth. Does that mean some people go to heaven and other people get earth? Or is Jesus saying something so profound that we have failed to understand? seems to me that Jesus is bringing a unification of heaven and earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And those are the first four blessings of the Beatitudes. But he continues this beautiful invitation of blessing to the merciful, to the pure of heart, he goes on to talk and address the peacemakers who have been persecuted for righteousness. 
You know, what, you know what, he, what he explains is their inheritance? For those that are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and those that uh, have been persecuted for righteousness, look what he, his language is, that they shall see God. And says they will be the sons and daughters of God. The God of what? The God of heaven. And he says, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is more... Jesus is obsessed with heaven and earth language here. And what happens in the rest of the chapter, we'll just run right through it. He then goes on to tell those people after pronouncing blessings on them, he calls them the salt and the light of the earth. Do you remember this? He explains that he comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He goes on to say that whoever's a practicer and keeper of the law, that that person, look, will be great where? You want to guess? In heaven. He also warns them. He says, to hate or to curse your brother is evil like murder. Then he goes on to say, if you're offering your gift at the altar and then you remember that you're in a state of offense with your brother and sister, he says, please leave your gift. You can pick that up and continue later, but go and be reconciled to your brother and sister. And the things that he's saying are like another planet to them, like another world, like what you mean that if I don't like my brother, have some, you know issues with him, and you know, I kind of don't like him, and I'm kind of hating him, that that's, that I'm guilty of murder? That sounds like another planet to me. I thought that's okay. What you mean I can't just come to the altar and worship God freely if I'm aware that I have some issue with a brother or sister that God, you're telling me that God prefers that I pause and go and make peace? That sounds like another world. Yes, you know what world Jesus is trying to introduce to them? He's trying to introduce to them heaven. He's, he's talking about heaven, and he's talking about inheritance of earth, and then he starts to address their issues of how they're living here and now. And this entire Sermon on the Mount, if we look, we realize that what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about heaven coming to earth. Jesus doesn't talk about heaven in a place that when we die, we go. Do you see that? Not one time has Jesus said, when you die, you go to heaven. He's saying your inheritance will be heaven and earth in unification. And this is very, very profound. Because my whole life, I'm just, I just want to die and go to heaven. And I just, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a time bomb. I, I read somewhere Jesus is coming on a horse, and he's not happy when he comes on his horse. So <laughs> I want to I get out of here. <laughs> he doesn't stop. He says that to have lust in your heart is as if you have already committed adultery. And they're like, hold on, that's another world, my man. He said, lust in the heart is as guilty as Adultery. Then he confronts men for their trivial justification for divorces. He's challenging them. He then forbids them from swearing and making promises and oaths, and he's asked them, he says, just let, let your yes and your no be filled with integrity and live by that. 
He tells them, stop living eye for an eye. Then he says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And then you know what he says after that? He goes, this is how you know that you're children of your Father in heaven. When you bless those who curse you, and when you love your enemies, this is how you live like children of your Father who is in heaven. And then we get to chapter 6, and he actually begins by commanding them to stop their righteous acts and deeds uh, that are actions that are only done so that they could be seen and applauded by men. He says, stop the hypocritical works. That's how he begins chapter 6. And what we read was he starts to forgive them for hypocritical prayers, where we're praying out in the public so that others can acknowledge that, wow, we pray. He tells them, stop making long, repetitive prayers. He's just saying the same thing over and over again, and really it's not about how many words you spit out at one time. And then he comes to this prayer. He comes to this prayer right here in Matthew chapter 6 for us. And you have to know that Jesus knows the cause of all of these issues that they're having, the reason why that they're living. Jesus understands why they live eye for an eye. He understands why they have lust in their heart. He understands why men are, are, are just so easy to divorce their women for any old reason. He understands that, we have, that they have hate for their brothers and their sisters. He understands that religiously they come to the altar to do their religious duty and appease God, but knows deep down inside they're, they're at war with people closest to them that they should be loving. He sees their hypocrisy and their leadership, that when these people pray in their leadership, it's just to be seen by people. He sees that their deeds are only so that they could get applauded for being good people. And Jesus said, this is not, this is not, this is not the way we're supposed to be living on earth. No, 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 no. He's not telling them a change now. He's not telling them that, you know what, things will get better in heaven you realize that, right? He's not telling them, oh, don't worry, this will just pass away, and, you know, in heaven, everything just turns around, and that's, that's fine. No, no, he, he's, he's really, really, he's, he's, he's really invested right now in how they're living at the moment. And his longest sermon recorded in our scriptures, he's going to address all these issues, and he knows where the issue is. The issue is in their heart. The issue is in their heart, but the issue begins in their mind. And the problem with their mind is that they're failing to understand the worlds of heaven and earth and their function together. He realizes in their minds that, there's, there's this, that they're not understanding this place of heaven and its role, and, 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 and they're missing, they're missing an opportunity on how to live here on earth. And so rather than him just continuing and be like, and you got to stop doing this, and you got to stop doing that, and stop doing this, and you got to start doing that, he just pauses and says, you know what? I got to teach you guys to pray. And 
And in Matthew 6, what we read, he says this, in this manner, therefore, pray. Remember, he just addressed them. Their prayers are hypocritical. They're probably praying all the wrong things. Probably like us. Or probably like me. I don't want to say you're praying wrong prayers. That's so bad of me to say. But me, I'm sure me, I have prayed wrong prayers. Or I have gone to God in prayer with a terrible posture in my heart. I don't know if this happened to you. Maybe I'm the only one here. But usually when I open up my mouth, it's like, God, I need this. And where are you there? And can you come over here? And can you do all of this? And you know this really big problem over here. And I got this thing over there. And I got this thing, right? And, and it's just like, here, let me just bring every weight of concern that I have. And I'm just going to throw it at God because he's king of the universe and fix it, God. And there's scriptures that say that if I pray, you're going to answer. And then we just, you know, just throw them at God's feet. And God's just supposed to answer prayers and so that, you know, he can receive glory and honor here on earth. Anyone has ever prayed like? And sometimes I'm like, well, I have faith that God can do anything, so now I'm just going to come with all the stuff that I need him to do. And so I'm a person of, I pray in faith. I pray, yeah. And Jesus, when he goes to teach him to pray, he doesn't say, he doesn't talk about any of that. The first thing that Jesus says to do when you pray, he says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He says, when you, when you go into prayer, your first priority or the first thing on your mind shouldn't be what you need God to do. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we go to prayer, it's not first about what I need God to do according to my will. The first posture that I take when I go into prayer should be God. I want your will on earth as it is in heaven. This, not, not, this is shocking, but it's significant that when I go into prayer, I'm not petitioning on my behalf, but he's saying when you pray, go to prayer, you should be petitioning on God's behalf. God, what do you want done? God, what is your will? What is in your heart? What goes beyond my understanding and beyond my emotions right now? If I could get past me for just this moment and go to you, God, what is it that you want to happen here on earth according to your will? That's a beautiful posture to have in prayer. Jesus is saying this should be the first position. Now, clearly, this doesn't mean that you never make your request known to God. We have scriptures for that. But they do not precede us going to God, asking for his will to be done here on earth. As it is in heaven. And so I have, we have to ask, what is the will of God? Like, what is, what, what's God's business? Like, right, like, God, what is your business in heaven, that needs to be done on earth. Like, aren't these two worlds so, so separated, right? Like, isn't heaven that place high up there in the clouds where you live? And isn't earth over here down low? And now I'm praying for the will that's up there, your kingdom, your power, your authority, your wisdom, your insight, for that to be here. Like, what is the will of God? What is the heart of God? 
and just some deeper questions. What's, what's the original plan that you had, God, when you created this world? If, if you lived in heaven, if you always existed in heaven, if heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool, as the Psalms say, what's your business here? Why do you need an earth? What's the plan? I don't know. <clears throat> Good questions. And God, I'm so confused about your original plan and at times, I'm so confused about where's the, where's the future plan? Like, what is that? Like, what's the future plan for the world, but what's the future plan for me when I die? Right? When my, when my parents are gone and when loved ones are gone. Like, what, what's this whole will and what's this whole plan about? Because those, to me, have always been two separate worlds. Can you put my first image up? <clears throat> what is this plan, God, that you have with this place, heaven? And what is this plan that you have with this earth that you created that we live on? And in my understanding, we're down here, and lucky all you, God, you're all the way up there. <laughs> God, if you live all the way over here, then why'd you drop me down over here? You got some explaining to do, right? Like, why you get to be there, and I have to be down here. Like, so God, when I die down here and this place explodes, <laughs> I want to float my way into heaven. <laughs> right? Like, I want to die. <laughs> and when this earth fades, I want to go up to heaven. But when Jesus is speaking, he's, he's never talking of, in context of us God, dying, go to heaven. He always speaks of this place of heaven touching and coming into unification with this place of earth. Do you notice that? When he's putting that blessing, he's, he's not saying later when you die. He's not saying you'll be, those that mourn, you're going to get to be comforted when you die. He's not saying that that's all later. Remember what Jesus first said when he comes on the scene. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He doesn't speak about heaven being a later afterthought. He doesn't talk about heaven being beginning at the end of our life. He comes saying, making this announcement, saying the kingdom of heaven is here, now, in him, through him. And then all of a sudden from 
Here where there's power, where there's authority, where there's miracle, where there's sign, and where there's wonder, in Jesus as he comes down, heaven starts to touch earth. And people who are sick are now whole. And people who had diseases are now healthy. And people who are tormented are now free. Jesus is making a big statement by not just saying that the kingdom of heaven is here now, but by living heaven on earth. We can put the next image up. And so the first thing you got to understand that heaven to Jesus is not just the place that's up. So let's just change that right away in the diagram, okay? Because we always picture heaven somewhere up here. And so when I die, I want to go up. But what Jesus does explain is that there is a kingdom of heaven and that there is an earth, okay? But we're changing the picture so we could get out of our minds that heaven is just this place up. Well, again, what happens if you live down here and you go up? Ooh. <laughs> So, so we, got, we got to get rid of that diagram because it doesn't even work, okay? So we'll, we'll start here. So when Jesus starts talking to them about how they're living on earth, he's addressing matters of their heart on earth. He's addressing the hypocrisy that they live in. He's addressing their unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment that they live with one another. Here on earth, he's, he's addressing their lust, their infidelity, their broken promises and oaths, their, their religion of prayer and uh, deeds. And what, he, what he's telling them, he says, this, how you're living, is nothing like the kingdom of heaven here. And so when he starts to lead them in prayer, because he knows that the way to begin to fix their corrupt hearts here is to take them into a place of prayer and fix their inclinations, fix their desires and their wants. And he says, when you pray, you cannot pray. With all this stuff in your heart, you cannot pray with this kind of posture. He said, when you pray, pray to your Father who is where? In heaven, and pray that his kingdom, look at this, you, his kingdom comes down to earth. Put the next diagram. And this is what... He's inviting them into. Heaven is not a place up here. He's actually giving them an invitation that while, listen, while they live on earth, you see earth? They can still experience heaven right here. Do you see it? Can you see it? I saw pictures like this. That really helped me <laughs> understand this. And so for Jesus, heaven is not this far-off place that begins, hopefully when we die, 
But for Jesus, he's making an invitation to them for them to invite heaven and earth. And Jesus meets us on earth and something beautiful starts to take place in all of their lives. Comfort to the morning. And then he says, their inheritance, look at this, their inheritance is not just heaven, that place up there, right? He says their inheritance is both. And what Jesus starts to really bring together is this plan that God actually has for us. What is the plan of God? Where is this world, where is this world going? We'll explore more of that stuff and we'll get into some revelations later on in the series. But I just want to go to the next slide just to see the picture where Jesus... <clears throat> I believe this is the picture that Jesus is speaking of as an ultimate and plan for humanity. Can you see it? What do you see there? I tried to, through my graphic design skills, to <laughs> have heaven and earth united as one. Heaven and earth united as one. And later what we're going to see as we travel, how is that possible? There needs to be a place for that to happen. There needs to be a place for that to happen. What were they experiencing? Hypocrisy. What were they experiencing? Unforgiveness. What were they experiencing? Envy, murder, lust, sickness, disease. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, heaven is here. And then people are made whole. People are set free. And look, Jesus becomes that place where heaven is touching, up, touching earth. And he's making an invitation for people to follow him. Remember, when he goes up into that mountain and he begins his sermon, who's he sitting with? His disciples. He's, he's made a beautiful invitation to these men to, to come and to sit with him and to experience the kingdom of God. Do you know what is the number one message of Jesus preached throughout all the Gospels? Did you ever notice? If you were to go and start going through the Gospels and start looking at the red letters of Jesus speaking, the number one message of Jesus, more than any other message that he ever preached throughout all of Scripture, and all you have to do is pay attention and you'll see it, is this. The kingdom of heaven is here. You say, well, didn't he do parables? Yeah, he did. And when he started them, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. You remember that? The kingdom of heaven is like. And so he's telling them through the parable something about the will of heaven and the ways of heaven. And through this parable, he's inviting them to live by the truth and the wisdom of the parable. Where? In heaven when they die? No, that's, that's, that's nonsense. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, 
to be in God, what it's like to be in the presence of God. And then he tells this parable to give them understanding of mind and heart so that then they can live that out where? On earth. See, some of us also don't know how to explain these moments that we have, right? Like these, these the beautiful moments I'm talking about. It's like, wow, church was really, 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 really good today. Right? Like, church was good. You tell someone, you should have went to church. Church was good. That really good church moment that you had was more than a good church moment. I promise you it was more than the musician and it was more than the preacher. What we got a taste of at that moment, what you got a taste of, was heaven meeting earth. You ever seen someone come in repentance before God? That is a taste of heaven meeting earth. Jesus' first message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when we see someone's heart being surrendered to God, when you see someone broken, poor of spirit, turning their attention to God, God is, that Jesus said, that is heaven on earth. When a human heart connects with the heart of God, that is heaven. And it's beautiful so we cannot disregard such moments. You ever been in a room and it just swells up with worship and it goes beyond the sound and it goes into just, it's like this room. Have you ever felt this room enter into another dimension? And you know something supernatural is taking place and you say, we say, oh, I felt goosebumps and stuff like that. That's your physical body stepping into another dimension of the heavenlies. Jesus said, when you pray, pray that God's kingdom and his will in heaven comes to earth. Jesus is fascinated, I promise you, with this theme of heaven coming to earth. So ultimately, we'll get to that final picture. And so... What was the original plan? What was the original plan? What is the end plan? Those are questions we need to answer. Let's just talk a little bit about that original plan and I'll be done today. Genesis 1, or Genesis will say, it's my favorite book of the Bible if you know me. Um, my mother raised us, forcing us to read the Bible. It's good. It's good. I'm glad your parent is forcing you. She's positioned you in a place one day, or they are positioning you in a place where the Word of God can become real for you. And I, I so disliked reading the Bible. Um, but in my journey of faith, I, after I came to that place of repentance, then everything changed. It was almost like you, you, like something, uh, something that you couldn't see is now visible, right? Like in God. It's like the Bible that was there the whole time. It's like now I see it. And it's not that it appeared. It's not that I, I went. It's, it's like I stepped into it. Right? It's like you, as a kid, I went to church my whole time. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is so boring. I'm sitting here. Just can't wait to go home. But then now in my journey of faith, there's these moments where 
We don't go up to heaven, but it's, it's like we go into heaven here. Right? And so there are these moments where we feel like we go up to heaven, but more so, if we're honest, it's something more like we step into. It's like this other reality that is there that goes beyond what's physically here. And we don't have to become ghosts to taste it. It's as if another reality invades the natural. And it's, and it, and it's there that where God feels so close and so real. And I believe that that's, it's, it's in that place where the Spirit of God is so tangible and then starts to move amongst us. Scripture would suggest that it's in that spirit is where prophecy comes from. If prophecy is not coming from this natural world that me and you sit on and step on. Prophecy is when we enter into this dimension of the presence of God, and it's in that dimension that prophecy is then released into the physical world that we live in. I mean, how else would we pray for someone and they be healed? Unless one enters into the dimension of God's presence and the power and the might of His presence and wholeness flows from this beautiful dimension of heaven and then it touches someone here on earth that was sick. Man, Jesus is walking, Jesus is like a walk in heaven. It didn't matter where he went. It gets to the point that we read in scriptures that he's just walking and people are touching him, touching where he's walking. And they're able to enter into this dimension of heaven through him. And it's like, this, is, this seems to be the will that Jesus has. He's inviting people to this. He's inviting people to follow. Come, come, come. He's inviting everyone into his presence. The outcasts, those people that are, you know, rejected, those people, he's like, come, come, come to heaven. He's like, the, the kingdom of heaven is here. And this is just some new plan that Jesus just made up out of nowhere, like, well, the beautiful thing is that the book of Genesis shows us the heart of God from the beginning. It shows us this. And I love, I, I, yes, I dislike reading the Bible, but then something happened in my life where I gave my life to God, and the Bible became alive to me, and I just be, fell so in love with Genesis, so in love. And as I started journeying through, I felt like everything's in Genesis. Anything you need to know is in Genesis. <laughs> Believe it or not, in the first three chapters, just, just those. Don't matter what you need in life, you just find them in there. And this has been my, it's like I entered into this dimension of Genesis chapters one through three. And it's so heavenly. And let's just look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning God created, look, the heavens and the earth. So who is the creator of these two worlds? It's God. And then he says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And so now you got this earth, right, that's formless, dark, empty, void, whatever words we want to use to describe it, but it's lifeless. There's no, 
meaning. There's no significance. It's a wild wasteland. And right away it tells us this, <clears throat> that the Spirit of God comes and hovers over the waters. The Spirit of God, this is the, this is the Spirit of the Father. This is the presence of God the Father. And what do you see in the, our first pages of the Bible, our first words of the Bible are telling us this, that heaven is coming to earth. What is God's plan? Right here we see in God's heart and his design, the first things that we open up to is that the Spirit of God is coming to invade this earth. God is fascinated with this earth. And I'm not going to read the rest of the verses, but I invite you, if we, you might be familiar with them, but the first verses of the Bible, um, of the, the next verses that follow are the whole creation narrative. Light and days and separation of waters from land and uh, the earth coming forward and then trees and just beauty. How is that all happening? Because heaven, the presence of God, God's presence is coming to earth and where that meeting is, just a beautiful paradise. But God doesn't stop there with just creation of the world, so to say. We learn in the narrative of verse 26 that God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so, they, uh, and so that they rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move all along the ground. And then we see the creation of man, humanity, Adam and Eve, and both of them together make up this beautiful image of God. They become the image of God on earth. Look, we're not talking about corrupt man. We're not talking about uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 man who's got an offense with his brother, who has lust in his heart, who prays hypocritical. That's not the kind of man that God placed in him. He created a man that's in the image of God, and where did he put him? He didn't leave him in heaven. He put him on earth. So a human in the image of God is where? On this earth. But he's heavenly. They are heavenly. And he gives the whole earth to them. He gives them rule and dominion and authority and power, but he also gives them his wisdom and his instruction. And what is the responsibility of them? It's for them to expand. It's for them to take this image of God, take this image of heaven that they're created in, take the image of God, and to then feed that and fill the earth with heaven. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And look at verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Look, fill the earth and subdue it. Adam and Eve are images of God shining with the splendor and the beauty of their creator. You know what God says? Fill the earth. You're just not here to look pretty, guys. To look, like, they're not just there to look cute, walking around in this beautiful garden place. No. We're going to see that they're called to work it and to 
maintain it and to make sure that it continues and then to fill, fill, fill the earth, spread it, spread it, spread it, spread it. Can you see the plan of God? What is he trying to do? He's trying to take heaven and fill the earth from the very beginning. So this does make sense when Jesus comes on the scene and says, when you pray, pray that the kingdom of heaven and the will of the Father be done on earth as it is in heaven because this was always the heart of God. The heart of God was always to fill earth with heaven. And then Genesis chapter 1 ends and then it kind of spills over into chapter 2 and talks about the climax of the seventh day and the rest. But then Genesis chapter 2 is beautiful. You definitely got to read. Don't just stop at chapter 1, read chapter 2 because it goes into the details of that creation of man and what God did and all these special and unique trees. Genesis 2 verse 7, very familiar to us. Then the Lord God formed the man from where? From the dust of the ground. <laughs> My goodness. Look, God formed man from the dust of the what? The ground, the earth. And so even though man is in the Im he's in the image of God, right? There's the image, there's these characteristics, there's this mind that is godly, but what makes up man, what makes up the human creation that God made, he's, he's from the dirt. It says, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then the man became a living being. So what is it? God takes, look at this, he takes earth, and he takes heaven, and when he puts them together, a man gets up. Do you see that in the creation, in the being of man? Man is a unification of heaven and earth. The breath of God, the pneuma of God, it's the very presence of God. It's heaven touching earth creates man. So profound. I mean, I... I grew up so long thinking that man was meant to escape earth one day, and hopefully he lands in heaven. That's escapism. Why is this important? This is so important. Because if we live our lives thinking that the end goal is just for us to escape this God-forsaken place, and then God snaps his fingers and everything's changed, and I wake up in heaven one day, if that is your view of God's ultimate plan, I believe we'll live real shallow lives of what we're supposed to be doing down here. The intent of God creating man, he, he made him heaven on earth in his components, and then he placed him on earth that is saturated with heaven. He set him up for ultimate success to be able to overflow and to pour and to spread to the rest of the world. And then God does something very, very, very special with this man. Man's not just like dropped on earth randomly and he's just like, all right, where do I? Like, and, and, and then Adam and Eve, like, guess my shorty, like, what are we going to do now? Like, no, no, he, 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 he places him not just on earth, but he, he places him in a sacred place. Verse 8 says, now the Lord God had planted, look at this, a garden in the east. Where? In Eden. Ready? Back to this guy. Now the Lord God had pl planted what? A garden. Where? In the east. So there's a garden in the east. In the east where? In the east of the world? No. Where? In Eden. Okay. I have pondered about this for many years. And me and Joshua, for many hours and weeks 
and days. So first you need to see, in your mind, just, I'm going to draw it for you, in your mind, just, just draw the earth as a circle. You have it? You have the earth. You have the ground. You have the circle. But then God says that he planted a garden, so you have a, you have a point, right? You have a, you have a, a location, a, a pin drop, a garden somewhere. Just hold it, hold it, pin drop. You got it? You got it? But he, ta- he plants that garden where? In the earth or? No, there's another location. Eden. Ah, there's two. So you got the garden and then you have Eden. And the garden is placed where? In the east of Eden. And where's Eden? Eden's on the earth. So we have the earth, we have Eden, and then we have the garden that is where? In Eden. Do you see it? And the Lord planted a garden where in the east, where in Eden. The whole world's not Eden, but there's a garden in this place of Eden. And so man is not just left out in the world. God puts him in the place of Eden, but then takes him into a special place, into a garden. And the Lord, look at this. And there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, there that they were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And the, now look at this. Now in the middle of the garden, now you need another pit. <laughs> like this picture is just growing. So you got the world, you got Eden, you got the garden for you guys that's in the east of Eden, and then you got the middle of the garden. It's, it's like you zoom in. in to this very special, unique, precise location. And what's there? In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life. So God drops this heaven-on-earth human being (laughs) in this special, unique place where there's a tree of life. But the text also tells us, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which comes into play big time. But look, look, verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. So now you have a river that's flowing. In order to have a river that flows, that means you also have to have height, right? You have to have height. This is not a, don't think of this as a flat ground. Uh, A flat ground, put water in it, it's uh, stagnant, you get mosquitoes. God's not having no mosquitoes in this garden. And so in order for this thing to flow to the rest of the world, it has to come from a high place, from a high point. And so what we then can picture in our head is that in the middle of this garden is the high place, and from there there's a river, and it goes on to say, and from there it's separated into four riverheads. And so now you have this stream, this river that is flowing from Eden, and where it's going to the rest of the four corners of the world And so God is also setting up creation so that it can fill, fill the earth. And it's this beautiful place called Eden. So in my, our fascination, mine and Josh, I, did a, I, I gave Josh a gift. Me and Josh have talked about this so much. I said, I got to draw this thing. I got to draw this thing. I need to make a little visual for me. And I actually did it, and then I gave it to Josh as a gift. He has a picture of it in his house. I just want to show it to you guys. This is my picture of the world here. You can place that picture up. That's the Hebrew word Eden. 
And the word Eden that we read, that we translate in our Bibles as Eden, what it actually mean, means is delight. Delight. And so then we should read it like this. When God created the man that he formed, he puts him in delight. He put him in a delightful place, and we know this is true because the place was filled with trees, fruit-bearing trees, and it was filled with life of creation, and there's a river that came from, from, from that garden that flowed through Eden to the rest of the world. But this is no ordinary place. You, this is heaven on earth. Because we also read that God would just come and walk in the cool of the day talking with Adam and Eve. What, what kind of planet is that? Where the presence of God just walks with you in the cool of the day and you have that much access to God? This is no regular place either because later on we see that there are angelic beings that are floating all around. It's earth, but there's, there's the angelic and it's earth, but there's God walking in the cool of the day. So what is this? This is heaven on earth, people. In this creation, heaven and earth are overlapping in this area. That's my little picture. I think it's kind of cute. So the, you see the brown? That's just, that's the world. You see then the, the, the circle? Oh, yeah, here. This is, this, is, this, is the, this is the world, the earth. That's just the water that, you know, like in, in, in those times, you get to the edge of the world or you get to whatever four corners, you're going to hit water somewhere. So that works in their cosmology. All right, so you have, right, you have the world. Then you have Eden. Then you have the garden that he planted in the east of Eden. And then you have the tree of life and that wicked tree over there. And then you got these little angelic beings that you read about at the end of Genesis chapter 3. And from there, a river went out from the garden of Eden and then flowed out. We'll use that picture, uh, a, better, a little clearer picture later on uh, when we talk about some other things uh, later on. Not today, don't worry. <laughs> other part of the series. But it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And to do what? To work it and to care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. How does the story go? Do they eat from it? Do they not touch? They eat from it. And what's the result of this? Let's read ending of, uh, towards the end of Genesis 3. What's the result? What's the consequence? So they don't, eat, they don't choose life. They don't choose his instruction. They choose for themselves. And so there are consequences. <clears throat> we'll just read what he speaks, his attention to Adam. To Adam, he said, look, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Look at this. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the earth because of you. And so now Adam's disobedience has an effect on the earth. When God placed Adam on the he, Adam is heaven on earth, he's breath and earth, a human, and God places him in Eden, the sacred, beautiful, earthly and heavenly place that is blessed. I mean, the trees have herb-yielding seed within themselves. 
And in the beginning, it's just Adam and Eve's responsibility to make sure that it's functioning, make sure it's still going, and then to spread that to the rest of the earth. But now, because of their disobedience, now what happens? The ground is cursed. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to produce fruit and vegetation? Well, he tells them. He says, curse is the ground because of you. Look, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Before this, Eden, the environment, is working with humanity. But now, after this fall, you're going to see that now, outside of Eden, the environment is working against humanity. He says, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you'll return. And now, all of a sudden, there's this sentence of termination of life, death. When man had the opportunity to have this tree of life, he eats from the tree that then leads to death. And so what happens here? Does God zap him dead? Does he fall over? Does him and Eve fall over? No, look what happens. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing what? Good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand, look at this, and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God is thinking. God is thinking. Man, before his disobedience, is in just this place of beauty, splendor, and perfection, you could say. And Adam and Eve had an opportunity to eat from this tree of life and then live forever, think, in that state of beauty, splendor, and perfection. But now Adam and Eve have chose their own wisdom, did not trust God. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God told them, if you eat from this, you're surely going to die. And once they do, God says, cursed is the ground for your sake, and now you will have end of life. So man is no longer in a state of beauty, splendor, and righteousness. He's in a state of corruption and ultimately death. He's in a condition, he's fallen. He's in, we would describe him, he's in a sinful state now. Now think about someone who is in a sinful state and they have access to take something that will allow them to live forever. God says, if you now take from the tree of life and live forever, you will be locked into a state of of sin and ultimately death will be your end. And so what does God do? Verse 23, so the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So what does God do? God takes him out of this heaven on earth place Why? As just to punish him, to say, ah, you messed up, get out of here, punished, go over there. No. This this too is an act of God's mercy to protect Adam and Eve and the rest of creation from going and eating from the tree of life and living forever condemned. So this is an act of God's mercy. And what does he do? After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden, remember the garden's on the east, the east side of the garden, cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Cherubim, what are they? I promise you they're not 
Cherubs are not little baby angels in pampers with wings. <clears throat> That's not what a cherub is. Not in the Bible. You go read Ezekiel and you tell me. But all I know, these dudes got swords flaming and they will cut you. And so we got a little introduction of these cherubim. That's just plural for two. It's cherub is singular. singular. Cherubim means that there's two or more. And God places them. We're guarding Adam and Eve from going back into, guarding, uh, yes, Adam and Eve from going back into the garden to protect them so they do not lock themselves forever in this state of sin. How does the story end? Does it say the end? Does it say the end? And God says, oh, this messed up. Sorry for them. I'll go make a new earth somewhere else. Does God obliterate it with fire? Does he say, you know, oh, well, they messed up. Let's just start a new planet somewhere. Does God say, I still got heaven and he floats over there somewhere? No. The entire rest of our Bibles is God in pursuit and effort. And I promise you when I tell you, it's God's pursuit and effort to bring man back into that garden. It's a plan of redemption. It's a plan to bring man back into that place. You're like, really, Pastor? Nah. I just like the Jesus stuff. This garden has nothing to do with that. I promise you, it all has to do with it. Genesis is heaven on earth and unification. And man being placed outside the garden is God protecting him so he don't live forever in that place of sin by eating from the tree of life. And then the rest of the beautiful Bible is God's redemptive plan to bring man back into that paradise. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, guess what Jesus' invitation? The kingdom of heaven is here. He's like, come on. He's like, I'm going to show you heaven on earth. And then Jesus starts to display the beauty of the image of God. Do you realize that Jesus is displaying as a human the image of God? Our Bible talks about Jesus being literally the second Adam. You remember that, Paul. The first man, Adam, fell. But the second man, Adam, what, what, the second, what do you mean, Paul? What, this is powerful. All of this stuff is coming. Jesus comes as the image of God on earth. And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. You see, Adam failed in his garden. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus told him, hey, when you pray, you got to pray. What? That his will that is heaven be done on earth. And so when Jesus is in the garden in the last trial of his temptation, he is praying that the will of God be done. 
And, 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 and Jesus is leaning his humanity into the wisdom and the will of God the Father for his life. And he does not take and eat for the forbidden tree. Through the surrender of his death, he is choosing the tree of life. And in that, then Jesus is arrested from that garden. And then what happens? The Roman soldiers come, Judas come, and then they pull him out of the garden, and they think they have the power. Look at the foreshadowing. Adam and Eve, God takes them out of the garden for their disobedience. Jesus, for his obedience, God allows him to be taken out of the garden by the hands of men. You see that it's, it's being inverted here. It's being inverted. <laughs> and so Jesus ends up on a cross in front of everyone. And he's not crucified by himself. He's not crucified by himself. The Bible tells us that there are two men by his side, two criminals deserving of their penalty. Jesus undeserving of his penalty. Right? We have the beautiful story of the last seven words of Jesus, and we talk about them every Easter. But Luke captures something very unique in its gospel, and I'd like to share it with you. And we'll end. I end over promise. I just needed to bring us through this whole entire journey. I'm sorry, I just dragged you through a garden. You got flowers in your hair. You got dirt on your back pocket. You're like, I can't take any more. You got apples. Pastor Paul said Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam, he's responsible for why we're all out of paradise, right? He's the reason why we're out. He's the reason why we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and we're born so distant from God, and this is why Jesus comes on the scene inviting us to come where? Back into the garden with him. Now look at this. Luke 23, verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know what kind of mentality he has? When I die, I want to go to heaven. <laughs> this is this escape mentality. Just get us out of here. Get us out of here. It's all crumbling. Get me out of here. If you're really the Messiah and you, you, know, you, you dwell in the heavens, then get me out of here with you. I just want this to end already, and let's just, let's just go. Just get us out of here. But the other criminal rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God? He says, since you are under the same sentence, look at what he says. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You have one criminal who still has the mindset of these men from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, who, who is, his, he's guilty, but he still wants freedom. Where he's not recognizing his sin, he doesn't care that he's wrong, just if Jesus has the power to get us out, let's go. While you have another one who is poor in spirit, who is acting meek right now, and who is taking responsibility for his sin and acknowledges that he's guilty of the punishment. He says, we are punished justly for, what we are, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So they both have their say. And then Jesus says this. 
Jesus said, no, then he said, he says this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So now he's also acknowledging that Jesus has a heavenly kingdom. He said, just, just remember me. And then Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise. Oh, cute. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Right, come on. Cute paradise. Is it the clouds? What do you, I don't know, what did you envision? This beautiful island, secluded. Oh, what a, what a figure of speech for Jesus to comfort this man who's dying. Paradise. You know what that word actually is in the Greek? Paradise? See, me and you use that word when we talk about this place of bliss, like like when, when I get married on my honeymoon, I want us to go to paradise. And we use that generally to talk about this place of absolute bliss. Right? But when Jesus is saying, today you're going to be with me in paradise, he's not just talking hypothetically about something better than the cross that the guy's on. It's this Greek word, paradisos. Paradisos. where it gets its origin and its meaning from this Hebrew word. Does anyone want to guess what the Greek word paradisos means in Hebrew? Eden. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jesus said, today you will be with me. Not in some other place better than this cross. Not in some private island that you always wanted to go that you couldn't afford. He says, today I'm taking this repentful, broken heart who acknowledges, who has heard the invitation, who is praying right now that the kingdom of God's will be done on earth as it is. I'm, I'm taking this human back into Eden. The other thief is like, I hope when I die, I go to heaven. Jesus is like, you fool. When you die, I'm bringing you back to Eden. That's powerful. I'm bringing you back to Eden. But what is Eden? Eden is heaven on earth. And this is why Jesus could say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Your inheritance is the kingdom of heaven. And your inheritance is earth. Today, church, I conclude with suggesting that when we die, it's not about us just going to heaven. That's such a small understanding. But as we journey later on through the series, we're going to see that there's going to be this unification. This unification of heaven and earth and God's plan that he started, he's going to finish. That plan he started in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he's going to finish. 
most of us think too. I thought that when I died, I'm going to be this spirit without a body. And I'm just going to float around. That's why I fly in heaven. <laughs> I don't need wings. I'm just a spirit, right? The spirit that flies. Anyone? Raise your hand if you just this, this like this floating thing in heaven. That's what I thought. Well, we read the story. When Jesus died, he didn't float up into heaven. He didn't just float up like Casper the friendly saved ghost. God resurrected his body. Animated by the Spirit of God, but he had a body. And the promise that Scripture talks about is that God's going to resurrect our bodies too. Why would you need a body if you're going to fly and go to heaven? You would need a body if heaven unites with earth. Then you need your body. Amen? And so he gives this beautiful invitation to paradise. Well, God bless you guys. Wow. Thank you for enduring all of that. This is important. As I said, I want to know where my friends are. I want to know God's plan. And I'm so glad that through Scripture it shows us that it's very glorious. And I hope you continue on this journey with us and you share, you share, share this sermon with someone who wasn't here say, I think you should listen to week one. The plan of God is to invite us back into paradise. Paradiso. Eden. Amen? I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your presence, Lord. I thank you for your word that gives us life, Father. God, today I present everyone here in this room and those watching online who couldn't be here physically, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word and this invitation. This invitation back to heaven, back to the kingdom of the Father, Lord. Father, I thank you because you become this door. You become this gate where we can access heaven, not just later, but even right now, Lord. Father, today I pray for the people in this room, for those, Lord, that are broken in spirit right now, Lord. Father, I pray for those that are mourning. I pray for those that have been humbled by life, I pray right now, Lord, for those that are hunger and thirsty right now of spirit, Lord. Father, you invited, Lord, and you invite us today to be filled by you, Lord, not later, but even right now, Lord. Father, today you tell us that there's a, there's a piece of heaven for us even right now, Lord. Father, I pray for the person who maybe is filled with guilt and shame, realizes they're wrong and their brokenness, just like the thief on the cross, Lord. Father, but let them see through that example that a repentful heart, Lord, you're not going to despise or turn away. But when there's a heart that repents and acknowledges your kingdom, Lord, that you 
invite them to be in paradise, not later, but right now, Lord. So, Father, I pray right now for that heart, the heart that feels so far away, the heart that is so confused, today that they would turn and come to you, Lord God, and just begin a journey of trust, begin a journey to put their faith in you, Lord, begin to walk and take steps necessary, Lord, for them to discover your heart and your mind, Lord. Father, I pray for all of us, Lord, if any of us are religiously just being hypocritical with our actions and our prayers, Lord, I pray that you will forgive us and help us to change our prayer from our own desires and wants to us praying that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord God, praying for your will to be done, not our own, Lord. Father, I thank you for the life that we have in you, Lord, it's already a taste of heaven when we feel your peace and we feel your joy and we feel your presence, Lord God. And when you empower us and when we're able to pray for one another and we're healed, when we're able, Lord God, to give words of life and we're healed, Lord, when we're able to exchange the fruit of the Spirit, loving one another in joy and peace, Lord God, and when we're patient, Lord God, and when we exercise self-control, Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for the beauty of heaven on earth now. <clears throat> Father, help us to fulfill our call and our commission, Lord. Help us to fill this earth with heaven now. Help us to spread your wisdom and your light. Help us to be the salt and to be the city on the hill. Father, help us to bring and invite others into this beautiful paradise, into this Eden of your presence, Lord. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for saving us, Lord, and thank you, Lord, for making us new. Father, we trust that we're a new creation in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. can give it up to pastor thank you pastor for an awesome message how many enjoyed that message i mean i know y'all got more for the message than that how many really 